Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. It's exciting. And uh, yeah, grateful you guys are here. Grateful for those of you tuning in online. And uh, while we gather here, today we celebrate freedom. We also recognize today that there are 646 million people around the globe suffering various kinds of persecution uh, for their Christian faith. While we celebrate freedom, today we also realize that there will be 11 people that give up their life as martyrs because of their faith in Jesus. And so all the more on this 4th of July weekend, aren't you grateful for a great country where we can gather, where we're not afraid of people busting the doors and hauling you and I off uh, to jail because of our faith. And so, yeah, we're grateful. We can clap for that. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for the brave men and women that have sacrificed so much to attain freedom and also to protect the freedom that we, we so cherish. And so we're not only excited for freedom as our nation, but we're, we're especially excited for freedom in Christ. And as Tiffany mentioned, we'll be celebrating baptisms after the 1045 service and uh, grateful that God gives freedom that no one can take away. Uh, many brothers and sisters around the globe uh, live in a space where government has taken away their freedom. We've experienced times when overnight government can take away some freedoms from us. But aren't you grateful that Jesus gives freedom that no one can touch? that no one can take away, regardless of prison cell or sanctuary space. There's freedom uh, in that. And aren't you grateful for that? I'm super grateful for that. That's awesome. So well, with that, let's stand for the reading of God's word. If you're new with us, uh, we are studying our way through Jesus' first sermon, uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount. He starts off uh, with what is known as the Beatitudes. And he lays this foundation of kingdom principles. Uh, Matthew's highlighting that Jesus is the king. And so in this inaugural speech, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the king is laying the foundation of kingdom principles, how, how men and women, how you and I function and thrive in the midst of his kingdom. And it starts like this. Verse 3, we studied this last week, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now please read verse 4 out loud with me. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, how you speak to us in every aspect of our life. And God, mourning and grief is something that confronts all of us in a very painful place, in a very real place. So God, I pray you'd speak to us through your word and that people here in this space, those gathered online, would receive your word and we would experience the comfort that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before you're seated, why don't you tell someone, prepare to be comforted. Prepare to be comforted. Thank you for indulging me in that exercise. So in, in context, Jesus is talking about godly sorrow. And so there's natural sorrow that all of us experience. There's natural grief that all of us experience. But, but Jesus, in context, is talking about godly sorrow. He just said that, that unless we consider ourselves poor in spirit, bankrupt before God, that we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And now he, he builds on that and says, says, blessed are those who mourn over our broken condition because we'll be the ones who are comforted. I want to just read uh, this out of my, my study Bible. There's a commentary. And I think it sums it up best. It says, to mourn is to recognize a sense of sorrow over our own weakness in relation to God's perfect standards and ultimate power. 
It also means grieving over things that grieve God, such as unfaithfulness, immorality, and the cruelty that are rampant in our world. So those who mourn over sin and its effects in people's lives and commit themselves to helping rescue people from the evil are comforted by receiving from God's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So that's what Jesus means. Have a good day. Um, no. There's more. I want, to, I want to kind of break down this message in two parts. One, I want to talk about what does it mean to have godly, godly sorrow? What does that even look like? And then second, I wanted to talk to you about grief and about mourning. Uh, there are nine words in the New Testament for grief, for sorrow. Uh, God knows it's such a part of our human existence that confronts all of us. So I want to talk to us very practically about how do we move past grief and how do we experience mourning. But here in in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what does it mean to have godly sorrow? What does that even look like? 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11 says this, Godly sorrow, there it is, godly sorrow brings repentance, and that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What does it mean to have, have godly sorrow? Well, godly sorrow, it produces something in us. If you have godly sorrow, it's going to result in repentance. And what does repentance mean? Repentance is simply a change of heart, a change of mind that results in a change of action. I'm going this direction. I repent. I turn and I go a different direction. And whenever we repent, when we turn to God, we recognize our sinful condition. He says that leads to salvation. Salvation literally means to be rescued, to be rescued from something. It literally means to be restored to a former state of safety or well-being. So in context of, of our relationship with God, it's to be restored to this state before sin contaminated and destroyed our life. It restores us. Sin broke our relationship with God. Salvation restores that relationship with God. And that's what godly sorrow produces. Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, and that process leaves no regrets. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, uh, what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. All that's produced by this one phrase, godly sorrow, which I believe Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, this idea of mourning over our, our sin. And if we question, like, what do we have to mourn over sin? Just continue to read Jesus' sermon. Like, in the same chapter, he talks about how, how murder, like, it, like, we've heard it said, like, don't kill people, but he's like, in my kingdom, if you have hatred in your heart against someone, it's as if you've murdered them. Like, Okay, wow, that's, I got some stuff to work on. He talks about adultery. It's not just sleeping with another person, but if you look lustfully after another person, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. And he goes on and on to talk about that in that way. And he's eye for an eye. He talks about how, how someone punches you. Like, don't just punch him back. Like, turn the other cheek. Like, I don't know if I'm the only one that struggles with any of that, but like, God help me. And it just highlights for me how there's some, some sinful stuff banging around in my heart that forces me to go, God, here's what I'm, pro here's how, it, would you help me? Godly sorrow produces repentance. Repentance leads to salvation and that leaves no regret. Those who mourn over that sinful condition are the ones who will be 
comforted. James puts it this way, James 4, 8. says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. The, the word that Jesus used in uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount in verse 4 is, is this word pentheo. It's this severest form of grief. It's often used for uh, grieving the loss of a family member or someone that you love very deeply. And Jesus intentionally chose that word. And that's the exact same word that James uses here to grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, I don't think this means like we should be like the most somber people in the world. I think there's joy in following Jesus. But I do think it means that we no longer celebrate some of the things we used to celebrate. Some of the things that we used to high five and chat about and post about and celebrate. Now those are the things that produce this mourning in us. Those are the things that we grieve over. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will, if you do that, he'll lift you up. He will comfort you. This true mourning over sin doesn't focus on ourselves. It doesn't even focus on our sin. But true mourning over sin, it focuses on God who alone can remove sin. It's an attitude that begins when we enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's this, this attitude, this posture that lasts throughout our lifetime. Uh, David said this after he sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, had, had her husband, this good dude, murdered. Like he's done some things and here's what he says. He says, I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, and it, uh, let's go to the next, next passage, Psalms 51. Yeah, so I know my transgression, my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, did he sin against other people? Yes. He, he, he murdered a good dude uh, to cover up his, his sin. But he says his, his posture, wasn't, he wasn't focused on himself. He wasn't focused on the sin itself. His, his, his heart's cry was, God, I just want to be restored to right relationship with you. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That word mourn in Matthew 5.4 is written in the present participle. And so what that means is there's a, it, it indicates a continuous action, continuous mourning. In other words, we're continually mourning. Those who are continually mourning are those who are continually comforted. In his 95 thesis, Martin Luther said that the Christian's entire life is a life of continuous, a continuous act of repentance and contrition. The result of godly mourning is that they will be comforted. And they're blessed, not because they are mourning, they are blessed because they are comforted in the midst of their mourning in a godly way. So how do we apply this? How do we get practical? How, what, what's a practice that you could apply to your, your daily life? And this is where the notes begin. Uh, a few months ago, I was listening to a pastor, and he was suggesting, talking about how do we incorporate this continual conversation with God, like prayer in the morning, prayer in the noon time, prayer in the evening. And, and his suggestion at night was to do these four things. And so I put this as a calendar reminder in my phone, and it's simply this. I make an appointment with myself every evening to replay, rejoice, repent, and resolve. So this is literally a screenshot from my phone Replay, rejoice, repent, resolve. And so in the evening time, 
I, I, I do this. I, I replay the day. I take a look. I reflect back what happened throughout my day. What were the good times? What were the bad times? What were the highs? What were the lows? And I rejoice in the good things. I celebrate those. Think, recognizing that every good and perfect gift is a gift from God. Recognizing that it was God working the details of my life and in every interaction. I re- rejoice in that. And then I recognize sometimes I've blown it and I repent. Times when I said some things maybe I shouldn't. Sometimes when maybe my anger got the better of me. Sometimes when I behaved in a way that was not in alignment with who God created me to be. And I, I ask God, help me. Give me a change of heart, change of mind, so I can have a change of action in those areas of my life. And then resolve. And this is simply what it says. <laughs> resolve issues. Whenever I wrong someone, resolve it quickly. Uh, Paul says, hey, hey we, we're, not, we're not unaware of the devil's scheme, so like, like settle matters quickly, he talks about, uh, so, so the devil won't get a foothold in your life. This uh, tension that goes unresolved will result in strongholds, will result in bitterness, will result in anger towards other people. Um, in, in real time, so this happened this week uh, with my lovely wife. And so we were having this conversation that got a little bit intense. And I was committed to convincing her that I was right. And she just didn't realize it yet. Um, and so we're having this fight. And, um, and it was a good fight. And it was one that escalated quickly and it was all over my, me. It was my fault. And if I told you, it was stupid. It was so dumb. It was over a wrinkled shirt. So confession. And we went there and it escalated quickly. And, and I, you know, so we have this discussion and um, we part ways. I, I go to get ready to go to bed and I haven't seen this reminder on my phone, but I go to sit on my place to regather my thoughts. Um, and I see this, re- replay, rejoice, repent, resolve. And if you've ever had those moments where it's like the Holy Spirit shows up and you're like, Holy Spirit, I don't need you right now <laughs> because I'm committed to win and you're not too interested in that, but you're more interested in this resolve business, which right now, I just don't know if I'm there. And, uh, and so unlike oftentimes, sometimes I, I don't do this, but this time I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure this out because I'm preaching on blessed are those who mourn and should apply it to my life. So we talk and we work it out and hug it out and it was all good and I can iron my own shirts, it's fine. Um, uh, I love you, you're the best. Um, but, but just having a daily practice, how do, how do we mourn over sin? Well, it was very obvious in that moment what sin I needed to address, what, where I needed to repent, and what I needed to resolve. Uh, but if I didn't have this daily reminder, maybe it wouldn't have ended that way. Maybe it would have gone to bed very angry, very bitter. Uh, so, so how do you implement into your daily rhythm of life this idea of mourning? Well, this is what help, is helpful for me. If you have something that's helpful for you, do that. Share that. Talk about that. I'd love to learn uh, what you do to apply this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so let's transition now. So there's, there's godly sorrow. We talked about that. What about mourning? What about whenever you, and not just mourning the big stuff, not just like when someone dies who is close to you. Obvious, that's mourning. There's grief there. We're going to talk about that. But what about when someone says something to you that's super hurtful? What about when someone you trust betrays that trust? I think there's grief in that. I think there's mourning in that. What about whenever your expectations are here, reality's here? How do you process that? I think there's elements of grief and mourning in that. 
Uh, but to break up the messages, because I realize this is a little bit heavy, I want to share some jokes with you from ChatGBT. And so uh, best jokes from ChatGBT. Here's the first one. Uh, why don't scientists trust atoms? Because they make everything up. Why did the bicycle fall over? It was too tired. Why did the scarecrow win an award? Because he was outstanding in his field. Why don't skeletons fight? Because they have no guts. Why don't scientists trust stairs? Because they're always up to something. And I thought ChatGBT could do better. So I asked, like, could you, re like, give me some more. And it, like, malfunctions and start rewording the same jokes over and over, which to me I found the best. Like, that's more funny than any of those jokes because if you know Ginny and Palazzari, like, just ask her for a joke. She could rattle off six that are much better and, uh, and keep going with more and more content than ChatGPT can do. So uh, there you go. All right, so with that, let's jump into the second half of the message. Uh, what about grief, natural sorrow, um, Matthew 5, 4 again says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think the same principle applies to those who are mourning over natural, natural stuff that happens in life. Um, the Bible says that, that, that God is close to the brokenhearted and he heals those who are crushed in spirit. So how do we, how do we experience that? Well, I think there's a couple observations whenever it comes to grief that just maybe throw us into a little bit of a tailspin. I think first is that we think, God, we think bad things should not happen to good people. I think a general rule of thumb, most people in society would say bad things should not happen to good people. So when bad things do happen to good people, they're like, God, where are you? Uh, but I would suggest that bad things not happening to good people is not a biblical statement. Here's what Jesus said in John 6, 13. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. So he gives us his instruction so that in the midst of grief, we can still have peace. But here's what we also need to know. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In Hebrews 11, this hall of fame of faith uh, chapter, it talks about how, how God delivers like Moses and the nation of Israel through the Red Sea. Talks about how, how God delivers people over and over again. Talks about how, how women receive back their dead, brought back to life again. Like huge deliverance stories. But look at this in verse 35. It says, still there were, there were others who weren't delivered. There were others who didn't receive the miracle. There were others who prayed for healing and didn't receive it. There were others who were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging. Still others were put in chains and imprisoned. Some were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And these two were commended for their faith. Same God... Same followers of Jesus praying the same prayers, but others didn't receive the, the miracle that they had hoped for. Which leads us to say, like, God, maybe you're not fair. Why did they get healing and I didn't? Well, why did they not experience the tragedy that I experienced? God, I don't think you're fair. And a thought is maybe, thank goodness God isn't fair. 
Because if God was fair, then we would have to pay for all of our sins ourselves. And so fairness isn't necessarily what we want. But we do want to understand that we're going to be okay. And I think God does make that promise. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I think as followers of Jesus, sometimes we just say, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense, but I, I trust that you are good. I trust that you are sovereign. And when I don't see what your plans are, I'm just thankful that you, you will deliver me from every evil attack, that you will bring me safely into your eternal kingdom, whether I see what's happening in front of me right now or understand it all or not. We often think that pain always means something's wrong. Another thought, we think pain means something is wrong, and that's just not true. Oftentimes it is. Like if you have a headache, like you should figure out why do you have a headache? Are you drinking enough water? Are you detoxing from caffeine? Like what, what is that? But, but all pain isn't bad. Whenever you get sore muscles, they hurt, but it's healthy. Your muscles are rebuilding. All pain is not bad. James 1, 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. If I were to ask you, hey, do you want to be mature? Do you want to be a complete person? Do you want to not lack anything in your life? We would all say, yes, how do I sign up for that? And James says, well, then here's the process. It's going to be trials, but God's developing you into who he created you to be. But we often think pain means something is wrong, and that's just not always the case. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 says, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have had to endure many trials for a little while. And oftentimes in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, it doesn't feel like a little while. For some, it's like years of trials. But in the big scheme of life, it, no matter if you suffer for many trials for 100 years, it's really only a little while. Like you will live forever. Your soul will live forever. And millions of years down the road, you'll realize that the trials you suffered, they were just for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Trials don't develop character. Trials reveal character. Trials and tests reveal what's on the inside. It, it purifies us. It, it, it helps us become the people that God created us to be. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren and his wife Kay experienced every parent's worst nightmare. Uh, they experienced the death of their son who took his own life. And Pastor Rick, he, he pastors a great church or did pastor a great church called Saddleback Church in Southern California. And his first Sunday back after his son's death, Rick preached a series uh, that was entitled, How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And according to, to Pastor Rick, grief process can be broken down into six stages. So I want to give you those six stages uh, just so whenever, if you are in a season of grief, you can identify where you are 
Or for all of us, we will experience grief and we can have these to refer back to. The first stage of, of grief is shock. The initial stage of grief is when a person becomes aware of the loss or the tragedy. And it's just this stage of, of shock, disbelief, or, or numbness. Second stage is sorrow. And in this stage, the person begins to experience intense emotions associated with their grief, such as sadness, anger, guilt, fear. It's a time of mourning and expressing the pain of loss. And, and again, in context, Rick's talking about the loss of his son, which, oh my gosh, is tragic and gut-wrenching on a level that some of you have experienced, but many of us can't comprehend. Uh, but I would say these same stages of grief apply to when expectations are here and reality is here. I think the same stages of grief can apply to when things don't go the way that you thought they should. The third stage of grief is struggle. And during this stage, individuals find themselves wrestling with difficult questions and trying to make sense of the loss. They experience confusion, doubt, and sometimes even a crisis of faith. Fourth stage is surrender. This stage involves letting go of the need to control and accepting the reality of the loss. It is time, in this time, surrendering to God's will and finding peace in the midst of the pain. In the fifth stage, he talks about his sanctification. And in this stage, the individual begins to find meaning and purpose in their grief. This is where the person who has experienced personal grief is, begins to experience personal growth and spiritual transformation and a deepening of their faith as they navigate through the healing process. And then the final stage of grief is service. This stage is where we use our experiences of grief to help others who are grieving. We use what's happened to us. Maybe, again, maybe it's not loss. Maybe it's trauma, uh, childhood trauma. And as you go through those stages of grief, now you use that, that, that trauma that happened to you. That was unjust. That was unfair. And, but you use it to help others who have experienced the same trauma. But oftentimes, in the midst of grief, we get angry with God. And here's why. Because we think we know what's best. I, I, so oftentimes in the midst of grief, I think I know what's best. And I think, God, maybe, maybe you missed it. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And that's not super empathetic to share with someone when grief is really raw. But if you're on the front side of grief, it's good for you to know going into grief. Like, hey, it's not going to seem like I know what's best and I think you missed it. But God, I trust that you have ways that are not my ways. As you, as you study the heavens, as you study the galaxies like billions of light years away. It gives some perspective to how high, how far his ways are above my ways and his thoughts are above my thoughts. If you're fairly new to Central, we're, we're honestly a staff, we're still processing grief. And many of you here are too of, of Kristen, our kids director, and super tough. And she, you know, passed away 42 years old, seems too young. And some of you have experienced loss of family members or you, you hear about other people who have kids that die super young. You're like, what's up with that, God? Here's a passage I remind myself of in those times. Isaiah 57.1 says, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. Why would God allow that? But no one seems to 
care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. Why did Kristen die at a young age? God was protecting her from evil to come. Why, why did your loved one pass away? God was protecting them from evil to come. Psalm 116.15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now, why would it be precious? I think because as a loving heavenly father knows, now they're safe at home with me. They're safe in my care. So how do we move, in closing, how do we move from mourning to comfort? How do we experience that? What does that look like? How do we move from mourning to comfort? I think Paul outlines this in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He, he writes this. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships that we suffered in the providence of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. One thing you'll hear Lovely Christians say, and they intend well, they'll say, God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's not a biblical statement because God will give you more than you can handle. Paul gave, God gave Paul more than he could handle. He says so much so that we despaired of even life. Like we were ready to die. Many scholars think that Paul was like so depressed, like he was having suicidal thoughts at this point because he's under such extreme pressure. It says, indeed, our hearts, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will continue to deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. How do we move from mourning to comfort? I think three things that Paul gives us here. Number one, refocus on what's happening in me, not to me. It's an invitation to refocus on God, what are you doing in me? Rather than being so consumed on what's happening to me. If I'm so consumed on what's happening to me, I'll live as a victim. But if I, if I refocus on what's happening in me, then I create space for God to do a work. 2 Corinthians 1.9, indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Refocus on what's happening in me, not just what's happening to me. Here's something to remember. My pain is either a jail that imprisons me or a school that shapes me, and you get to choose. And the challenge with this, I'm not saying it's easy. But, but it's true. My pain will either be a jail that imprisons me or a school that trains me. Here's what I know to be true. Whenever someone experiences trauma, when someone experiences pain, when someone is experiencing extreme loss, I've, I've seen this in counseling with other people. I've seen it in my own life. As I've experienced pain, as I've experienced grief, whenever things around us seem to be spinning out of control, we can come to this posture that says, I'm clinging to the one thing I can control. And that's my pain. That's my anger. And we don't necessarily want to be bitter. We don't want to be angry. We don't want to, we don't want to hang on to it, but we feel like this is the only thing I control and you can't take it away from me. And whenever we choose that, and it is a choice, one, we need to recognize it. And we need to recognize that, hey, my pain that I'm clinging to, it will either be a, a prison that, 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 that holds me back or a school 
that, I, that I'm going to allow to shape me because God, you're doing a refining work. And is it comfortable? No. Is it painful? Yes. But it happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. My pastor, previous pastor used to always say, Tim, if you don't move through the pain, you're going to get lost in the pain. And that's true. In seasons of grief, we can move through the pain or get lost in the pain. And so we don't want that to be true of us. So we're going to refocus on what's happening in me, not just what's happening to me. Second thing, we're going to remember that God always delivers. God always delivers. The, the, the proverb says that even in death, the righteous have a refuge. Like you tease out your situation to worst case scenario, even in death, he's still a deliverer. I love what Paul says. Look at it in verse 10. He has delivered us from such deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Listen, in seasons of pain, in seasons of trial, you need to remember, he has delivered me. He, he is delivering me. He will continue to deliver me. It's important to remember how God's been faithful to you. Whenever David went to face Goliath and Saul's like, what makes you think you're able to go against this, this giant killer? Like, this is Goliath. You're just a little boy. David's like, hey, let me tell you something, Saul. I, I faced a lion. I faced a bear. And this giant's going to go down just the same. I remember what God's done in my life. And here's the challenge. In the midst of grief, you're not going to feel like it. So you have to allow your cognitive abilities to override your emotion and focus on the goodness of God in your life and say, God, I remember, I remember when I didn't feel like I had any hope, but God, you delivered me then. God, I remember when I didn't think my boy was going to make it and God, he's, he's nine years old today and I'm grateful for that. God, I remember when we had more bills than money to pay them, but God, you came through. God, you can do it again. You have delivered me. You are delivering me. You'll do it again. How do we move from mourning to comfort? We remember what God's done. The best predictor of God's present help is his past faithfulness. The best predictor of how God's gonna help you today is how has he helped you yesterday? And for some of you, you're brand new to following Jesus. And maybe you don't even believe in Jesus yet. I would say borrow the testimony of others. For centuries, God's been so faithful. He's delivered people before. He's delivering people today. He'll deliver people in the future. He has delivered me. He is delivering me. He will continue to deliver me. Now, have you ever DVR'd a game? Maybe like maybe a football game or basketball, whatever your, your thing is. Um, and, and you DVR'd it and you're excited to watch it. But like on the way to watch the game, you get like a notification from ESPN. They're like, Chiefs win, woo, or Niners win, yay, you know. Um, but you still sit down and watch it. And like it's super tense, like it's extra, like you're going in overtime, you know, like you're on edge. But like you got peace, why? Because you know how it ends. Have you ever watched like a series on Netflix? Like, uh, this, this is going to be, this is going to date me a little bit, but there used to be this show called 24. And, uh, and it was like this 24-hour period of day. And it was like every episode was like, I don't think he's going to make it. The world's going to explode. 
And uh, I remember in college, we would go on these basketball trips and, and I had this buddy that, this is when you, this is really dating me, used to burn DVDs. And he had like all these burned DVDs, like a whole like binder of them. And, uh, and I was like, I've never seen 24, let's watch it. So I'm watching the first episode. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's gonna die. Like my palms are sweaty. I was sweating in the back, but I'm like, wait a minute. He's got five seasons in that thing. The main character is not gonna die. It gives some perspective to the present. And aren't you thankful that Jesus reveals how it ends if you're a follower of Jesus? To take some pressure off the pain in the presence, Revelation 21.3 says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling place of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more funerals, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for that's the old stuff and it's gone. He's ushered in a new day. That's your future. And so whatever burdens, whatever anxiety, whatever angst you feel today, remember how the story ends. You come through. There's more episodes. There's more seasons. This isn't going to sink your ship. There's more to come. Finally, third, how do we move from mourning to comfort? We rely on solid relationships. We rely on solid relationships. Uh, oftentimes, some of our greatest pains, some of our greatest hurts uh, come from people. But isn't it interesting that God uses people more than anything else to help people in the midst of grief, in the midst of their hurts, their habits, and their hangups? 2 Corinthians 10, 1.10 says this, On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul says, man, I didn't think we we're going to make it. Man, I was at the end of my rope, but I'm thank I knew you were praying for me. And because you were praying, I had hope that God was going to deliver me and, and he's going to answer in response to the prayers of many people. Rely on solid relationships. That's why groups are so important. We talk about them around here. That's why getting involved with people, like join a serve team, get to know some people before the season of grief so that you can walk with them through their grief. And then whenever you experience the season of grief, they'll walk with you through your season of grief. How do we move from mourning to comfort? We refocus on what's happening in me, not just what's happening to me. We remember that God always delivers. He always delivers. He has delivered us. He is delivering us. He will continue to deliver us, and we rely on solid relationships. So that you can say, blessed are those who mourn, because in the midst of my mourning, I experienced comfort that I never thought possible. Father, we just thank you.